ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. Welcome aboard Captain Fi, the financial independence podcast. G'day guys and welcome to an episode of Captain Fi, the financial independence podcast where I open the cockpit to chat with some of the best and brightest in personal finance, as well as those who've reached or are on their way to reaching financial independence. Today's forecast is financial independence for beginners. So what is financial independence? Financial independence occurs when your investments generate enough income that it exceeds your cost of living. You can really do this two ways. You can either have a really high income from your investments or you could have a more moderate income from your investments and a fairly low cost of living. You can see there's an infinite number of combinations that could uh, meet the criteria of reaching financial independence. Really though, what does it do for you? Financial independence gives you the choice to direct your time and therefore your energy into things that you truly value rather than the things you don't like working that nine-to-five grind. Because your income is coming from passive investment sources uh, such as real estate or low-cost index funds, uh, you don't actually need to go out and earn a living. You don't need to get that paycheck. You don't need to have a boss. And you don't need to spend all that money that you normally would trying to earn the money, like a car, professional subscriptions, insurance, all that kind of stuff. At its heart, I think the uh, FI movement uh, is really just about uh, common sense, really, uh, using the core principles of mindfulness, uh, good old efficiency, uh, optimization, and, and minimalism. And really living below your means is, uh, is how you achieve financial independence. It can seem pretty daunting at first and when you start getting into the financial independence uh, community and you start reading about it online, um, there's some pretty impressive uh, stats out there from people like Mr. Money Moustache and uh, the Mad Scientist and even closer to home, the uh, Aussie Firebug from Australia. Um, And they have some pretty amazing savings rates and investments uh, and it can be really daunting for someone who's looking at this for the first time. But uh, investments really are a snowball. Uh, once you get started um, and that ball gets rolling, uh, it, it gets massive. And um, when you see those dividends and you see the growth uh, in your assets, um, it changes the way you think. Uh, I know for personally the first dividend uh, payment that I got I was hooked. I was like, oh my God, Like, you're telling me that I can buy this thing and uh, four times a year, it's just going to give me free money. Like, It just throws off free money and that goes straight into my account and I can use that. Um, I can spend that on anything or I can reinvest that and um, take advantage of compound interest to uh, really get those investments to grow even quicker. But um, I guess when you start, it can be so daunting and people are inherently afraid of something that's new and uh, something that, you know, change. I mean, even uh, in my role as a professional pilot, um, something we often joke about in the cockpit is saying, you know, there's two things we hate and that's uh, change and the way things are. So, you know, pilots uh, usually find a way to complain about stuff. So I guess you just don't, you know, you don't need to be afraid to break out of the formation with everyone else. So just because everyone does something doesn't mean it's a good idea. Um, Really, when you're looking to take your first steps to financial independence, it's an introspective period. You need to review your own personal goals and values um, and then figure out if it is for you, you know. Not everyone does want to quit their job, but reaching financial independence certainly provides a big factor of safety. And me personally, it's um, something that I want to achieve before starting a family. Some people will often say money 
isn't everything. All right, Captain Fire, you seem to love optimizing and compounding and buying your investments and shares, and you're very good with numbers, but you know, money's not going to buy you happiness. And first of all, I'd say um, if you think money can't buy you happiness, clearly you're shopping at the wrong places because money can buy me an airplane and I have a lot of fun flying airplanes, I can tell you that. Um, Actually, flying instructing has been one of the most awesome, rewarding jobs I've ever done. Unfortunately, it's not super lucrative um, but maybe after I reach fire um, <clears throat> that could be something that I'm going to look at so um, yes I agree money can't buy you happiness per se but what money can do is help you avoid things which are unpleasant for example working long hours or living away from home away from your family so at its core I think happiness is a result of good health relationships and wealth so you really if you want to take a step back and you know psychology and I'm not a psychologist by any stretch of the imagination um, but I do remember learning uh, as an instructor about Maslow's hierarchy of needs so Maslow's hierarchy um, is about essentially fulfilling basic requirements um, first and then we sort of progress up the pyramid or up the hierarchy to progressively more creative um, fulfillment. So, for example, shelter and food are come, come in right at the bottom as the core foundations of the hierarchy. And then as you go up, you're looking at relationships and, and finally self-actualization. So a really good example of Maslow's hierarchy of needs in action, uh, I actually found when I was teaching a young lady to fly. Um, Now, she was having uh, a little bit of difficulty with uh, landing the aircraft. And as you might imagine, landing an aircraft is one of of the most, if not the most important um, skills that a pilot can have to, to safely bring the aircraft down after a long flight. And it's usually the thing you're uh, remembered by, whether that's... uh, good thing or not like you know maybe you gently grease the wheels onto the runway and it's a nice smooth landing and uh, nobody's felt it or maybe you've messed up and you've just plonked it on and uh, everyone's felt it so it took a couple of sessions uh, working with her to really fix the uh, the issue but what was happening was um, her fear and stress of um, hitting the runway was actually kicking in her body's um, natural fight, flight, or freeze mechanism, which is a physiological thing. You know, it's physical. It's not a mental thing, and that's pretty unfortunate for a pilot. So as she was approaching the flare and the landing, she would freeze up on the controls, and as a result, uh, I would need to, to take over. So... One of the ways um, I overcame that was I thought, well, gee, she's afraid of hitting the ground. Let's just show her what hitting the ground feels like. Um, and so I just, I just had a bit of fun. We just we came in and I did some, you know, harder landings, which, you know, usually you try and avoid um, just to demonstrate that, you know, hey, you're, it's, the world's not going to end if you bang it on. So after a few of those, um, yeah, she realised that it's actually a bit of a non-event and um, the distraction really went away and she was able to complete the landing module and uh, went on to successfully complete her pilot training um, and she's now even flying for the Air Force. Um, so it just goes to show that by focusing on the basics uh, at the base or the foundation of Maslow's hierarchy, Uh, and then you can work on progressing to those higher rungs. So why is this relevant to financial independence? Well, like we were saying, um, money can't buy you happiness, but things it can buy are it can pay your rent, it can buy your food, it can pay for gas in your car, uh, it can pay to register your car, it can buy you food. Um, The fact is that money in our society is a way that we exchange our time. So, And when you think about currency as 
well, actually, this isn't a dollar. This is actually X amount of my time. You know, say you work um, and you're getting paid in retail, you $20 an hour, um, and you decide to go out to see a movie and, you know, um, you get a chop top and some popcorn and, you know, with the ticket, it, all, it comes to $40 somehow. You think, oh, wow, you know, I'm not buying this with $40. I'm buying this with two hours of my time. And it's actually more than that because, remember, you've paid income tax, so, you know, but let's, that's, a, that's a whole other story and we'll leave that for another podcast. So while money might not make you happy per se, it's going to allow you to satisfy the foundational criteria of Maslow's hierarchy, you know, food, safety, shelter, um, and therefore it lays the preconditions for happiness as it's going to allow your, your time to focus on those creative endeavors or passion projects. So a lot of the times in the FIRE or the FIRE community, um, you hear about people wanting to achieve financial independence so they can quit their job. Uh, now, you know, not everybody wants to quit their job. So when you think about it, um, financial independence could give you um, the flexibility to work more hours uh, that suit you such as part-time or reduced hours. Um, some people even choose to have a five-day weekend and uh, if your boss doesn't like it, well, there's a reason it's almost universally referred to as F-U money. So that's the whole semi-retired, kind of care, kind of don't mentality. Another benefit that reaching financial independence has is it gives you the ability to redirect your employment. Um, it means you know you have the option to branch out into a new career field, commence a course of study, or even start a business um, without the worry uh, or time constraint of having to earn a wage and you know having to put food on the table. So for many people, the opportunity to redirect their time and energy into these new forms of creative employment uh, can be incredibly satisfying um, and has led to the creation of many successful businesses, you know, businesses which in turn can produce you income and can be systemized and put on uh, autopilot. And I mean, ultimately, who doesn't love holidays? Reaching financial independence um, means that you can go on holiday forever if you want. Um, geographic arbitrage, uh, as detailed in the four-hour work week, uh, it is the process of basically living on a permanent vacation and taking advantage of the difference in exchange rates and the prices of goods and services. So, for example, in Australia, uh, a lot of people might be looking at moving to or conducting holidays in Southeast Asia where you can get uh, where that Aussie dollar stretches a lot further, um, just like how American uh, holidayers might choose to head south um, down into uh, Mexico or parts of South America uh, where they can you know, stretch their, their dollars even further. And I guess the last bit about reaching financial independence is you can always retire eventually. I mean, as we said, quitting your job, it's not for everyone, but the numbers don't lie. And when your passive income from investing exceeds your cost of living, you don't need to work anymore. You've reached FI. That's it. You've hit it. It's a huge jump and not something everyone is ready to go for straight away. So you might have hit fire, but there's still a little lingering, you know, is this really going to work? Have I done my numbers correctly? And if this sounds like you, financial independence might be something that gives you the option to retire eventually when you're ready. So the side bonus to that is because you're already financially independent, your portfolio is just going to grow larger and larger each uh, each day that you work, um, giving you a bigger cushion and reducing your risk 
and giving you even more cash flow and passive income. So it can be a very insidious um, insidious uh, situation, which really raises the question, when is enough enough? Um, and it can sort of lead to a bit of analysis paralysis, um, delay and hesitation. So that's just inherent for some of those personalities, but eventually you'll have enough to, um, to take the leap. So that's a little bit about fire and happiness and, and why I do it. The next question is, how do I do it? So smart investors are able to reach financial independence by living below their means and continually investing in assets. So assets are, or productive assets are basically things that make you money. So that could be a investment property where you're renting out a house and you have a tenant that's providing some cash flow uh, and paying down your mortgage uh, whilst you're receiving capital growth and, and maybe it's cash flow positive so it's actually providing you um, cash each week which you can be you know paying your groceries with. Um, assets also include the stock market um, and uh, everyone will probably know from the site uh, by now that I'm an avid fan of low-cost uh, stock market index funds and uh, these are the ETF or exchange traded funds and LICs or listed investment companies, uh, which uh, you'll hear about quite a lot. Um, Other assets uh, can include intellectual property. So uh, maybe you've uh, written a book or you've got a course um, and you're offering those for sale. Um, And, you know, you can get the royalties from those just ticking off in the background. Um, Other forms of assets include bonds uh, and cash, although, you know, those are two things that uh, in the current climate, um, aren't you know, super lucrative. Um, but the point is an asset is something that makes you money um, directly opposed to a liability, which is something that costs you money. So um, a liability, for example, could be credit card debt. Uh, it could be a loan on a car. Uh, it could be a ridiculously big car that's that you don't need. So, you know, you're driving around in a, a big four-wheel drive when all you really do is uh, drive 2Ks uh, down to the shops and back once on Sunday. So by um, living below your means and investing in assets, um, eventually you're going to hit fire. So when it comes to um, the steps, the first thing is, as we said before, to educate yourself. Um, And now that includes an introspection. You need to review um, your level of knowledge at the moment. You're going to be honest with yourself. Um, And, you know, you shouldn't be investing in things you don't understand. Um, You know, that's one of Warren Buffett's um, best pieces of advice. And for anyone who doesn't know, Warren Buffett is sometimes referred to as the Oracle of Omaha and is undoubtedly the world's best investor. Uh, And he says you should never invest in something you don't understand. So step one is educate yourself. Review your knowledge, um, your values, and your goals. Step two is make a budget. And this is really key because this is part of the whole living below your means thing. Um, You need to track your budget, track your expenses, and track your needs. So... You know, creating a budget can be difficult, but the first step really is just getting a printout of your um, bank statement. So I'd say go electronic for everything. So ditch the cash, just use your card for a couple of months, get a really good um, understanding of your purchase history and go through your budget, detail where you're spending all your money and uh that's going to give you a really good understanding of where that money's going. So, you know, the, even the most sturdiest ship can be sunk by little, lots of little holes in the hull. So that means you can have a really high income. You can be a professional. You can be earning six figures. But if you're going out and you're spending $10, uh, $10 $20 regularly on, you know, food or 
whatever, um, that really does add up over time. And, you know, what does it cost to waste $10,000 a year? I think it's something like uh, $27 a day. So it adds up. So once you've um, got a really good understanding of just how much you're actually spending, you need to rein it in. So step three is reduce your expenses. So you want to be mindful with your expenses, um, but you still got to have fun. If you, you know, if you start being really brutal, um, it's probably not going to work out. You need to do these things sustainably. So maybe just aim. Okay, I'm going to reduce my expenses by 20% or even 10% to start off with. And then each month or each couple of months, you're going to aim to try and bring that back by, you know, another 5 or another 10% until you get to a position that you're happy with. So, for example, my goal, I'm striving for at least an 80% plus savings rate. So that means I don't want to save at least 80% of the income that hits my account, um, plus my superannuation contributions. I want that to be more uh, equal to or greater than 80%. Um, and, you know, I've not been doing too bad. Unfortunately, um, a few months uh, I've really uh, taken a few blows to the old savings rate. But on average, we're, um, we're actually around that, uh, that 80% mark, which is, um, which is where I set my goal and remember step one part of educating yourself was really setting some of those goals um, ways that you can you know you can get really creative with reducing your expenses and you know I've, I've published a lot of articles on you know ways you can reduce your um, cost of living and you know get more efficiency um, out of your purchases as well as you know maybe some things that you can live without um, on your goal to uh, on your journey to financial independence so step four um, is to create a savings buffer. So this is really important. So because you've um, you know because you've budgeted and you've reduced your expenses, hopefully you've freed up a little bit of cash, um, or maybe you even have a little bit of surplus cash or a bit of savings um, tucked away somewhere. Maybe you can sell some of your things. And uh, I've got an article about how to sell your things on online. So eBay. Um, and online classifieds like uh, Craigslist and Gumtree are fantastic ways that you can not only get a bit of uh, money to create a savings buffer, but you're also just getting rid of your crap and your old junk, um, which I can't believe it, but people buy it. One man's trash is another man's treasure. So you need a savings buffer. It's going to be critical in dealing with life's ups and downs or the volatility uh, and you should really aim for about $2,000 um, before considering even spending on non-essentials. So one of the um, benefits of having a, a decent savings buffer like that is um, you can really um, start to save on your insurance. So that savings buffer actually forms a sort of self-insurance policy or own insurance policy. So an example is um, my auto car insurance. So I had initially a fully comprehensive policy, um, which is full insurance, which means if um, there's any accident, I'm covered regardless of who's at fault. Now, um, I thought that was a really good deal and it gave me peace of mind. Um, but it was costing me over $1,000 per year in premiums. And, oh, by the way, if I did have an accident, there was still a pretty sizable excess of, uh, I think it was $1,500. When I realized that, actually, my car probably doesn't need comprehensive insurance and I transitioned to a third-party insurance or the other person insurance, which means if I have an accident and I um, damage someone's car, their car is covered, but my car isn't. I actually saved a heap of money on my premium. So I went from spending something like a thousand or two thousand dollars a year um, all the way down to now I pay just under two hundred dollars. Uh, and that gives me the peace of mind knowing that if I hit a Porsche or a Lamborghini that 
it's not going to financially ruin me. And that's what insurance should be. Insurance should be protection for something that is going to financially destroy you. So that's a really important realization on the path to financial independence because it allows you to free up a lot of cash flow um, that you would have normally spent on fear, um, which is essentially insurance. Now, remember, insurance companies aren't um, now actuarians are highly trained and highly educated people, statisticians that they're basically going to work out what is the likelihood of, of your catastrophic event happening, um, how frequent is that going to happen, what is the likelihood of them having to pay out, and so how can they adjust your premiums to make sure that if you do have a claim, they're still going to make money. So in the long run, if you just kept that money in your pocket, you're actually going to come out on top. So for some things like, uh, say, a home, um, like real estate and investment property, I would have that insured because look, I don't have the money sitting around to just buy another investment property or rebuild. Um, when I can work in the cash flow of insurance uh, into the deal, um, I'm going to include insurance for that. So again, insuring against something that will financially destroy you. Taking it back to the car example, because I was saving um, you know, almost $1,000 a year in premiums by switching from comprehensive to third-party insurance, I was able to take that money and put that into my savings buffer, which meant if I did have an accident and my car is written off, I've got that cash to go out and buy another car whilst that third-party um, policy would cover the opposite. So it's super important to have a savings buffer. You know, emergencies happen. You may, might need emergency travel, whether that's booking tickets um, to fly interstate or overseas for family, um, whether, you know, especially if you have kids or especially if you have pets, you really need an, a savings buffer and an emergency fund. So, and that should be at least $2,000. The Step number five, or the next step um, to financial independence is boosting your income. And this is a great one. Um, you can have a lot of fun with it. Um, basically, make more money from your job and and start hustling. Create a side hustle or two or three or four. Um, you know, just be mindful of your time commitments. Um, make more money, you know, People generally get what they're worth and if you improve your self-worth and uh, self-recognition and you take that to your employer, um, you may ne successfully negotiate a raise. So, And I, I did this with my job. Um, I actually um, had a pretty big, uh, pretty big case where I went to my boss, uh, my supervisor through human relations and... Um, Basically said, no, look, I want more. This is this isn't right. Um, look at the, this is what the award wage should be. This is what the company policy should be, and this is how much I think I deserve. Um, and look, it took a while. It was a lot of effort, but I can tell you right now, it was 100% worth it. I actually got um, a raise of, gosh, it was a, it was over 30%. It was a huge increase. Um, and not only um, did I get an increase in my salary, I, they actually back paid me, um, which isn't usual. That, that often won't happen, but I actually got back paid a chunk of money, which I was able to put into my investments. Um, and I also got uh, recently a settlement with my superannuation or my uh, retirement accounts um, through the company where um, you know that's going to provide me some security uh, for later on in life uh, and that helps me out now too because you know really when you talk about financial independence and retirement um, if you do choose to retire early so in your 30s um, that early retirement portfolio is going to keep you from you know say 30 into your 60s well when you're 60 that's when a conventional retirement would be planned um, so you still need to survive from that 60 onwards so having those tax sheltered retirement accounts whether that's your 401k 403b uh, IRA Roth IRA or in Australia your superannuation um, it is super important to have those and 
taking advantage of maxing out your contributions um, into those accounts is a very smart move and it's going to save you quite a bit on your tax as well. This podcast is brought to you by the best portfolio tracking tool for Aussie investors. ShareSite makes it incredibly simple to track your portfolio with automatic updates of share purchases and dividends, easy-to-read graphs, and comprehensive tax and performance reporting, all wrapped up in an easy-to-use cloud-based system. For users with fewer than 10 holdings, it is completely free, and I even used the free version for years. Head over to captainfire.com forward slash ShareSite dash review to see if ShareSite is for you. CaptainFi listeners can score themselves four months of ShareSite premium for free by using the bonus signup code in the article. If you do ever decide to hold more than 10 stocks, be sure to use this code to get your first four months for free. Even if you do only plan to use the free version, using the code means if you ever do upgrade, you will still get your four months for free. Ditch the Excel spreadsheet and complete your tax with a click of a button by signing up today. That's captainfire.com forward slash share site dash review for your four free months. So there was step five, was boost your income. So don't be afraid to negotiate. Um, Remember, everything is up for negotiation. And if anyone tells you otherwise, they don't know what they're talking about. (laughs) Um, Side hustles. So there are, you are limited by your imagination. Um, What are some side hustles that I did? So we've already talked about eBay selling. So I got rid of some of my junk um, and I used that to fund a savings buffer or an emergency fund. Um, There's nothing stopping you from buying something deliberately with the idea that you're going to then resell it. Um, And that's called arbitrage. And a lot of people do that. Um, I've seen people um, loading up on toys um, at the supermarket because they know it's a limited run. Um, They're loading up on them and they're going to sell them for more on eBay. It's just like ticket scalpers. You know, they they buy the tickets, they wait for the prices to go up and they sell them. So, look, I'm not going to argue about the ethics about whether this is right or wrong, but, you know, that's an option that's available to you if you're looking to make more money. Um, I know other people in the area that started dog walking businesses, um, walking walking dogs uh, every morning. So, you know, and she was going to do that anyway, um, walking her own dog um, for her own health. So now she takes other dogs with her and gets paid, I think it's like $20 uh, a week extra um, for a couple of a couple of walks a day for something she enjoys doing in her leisure time and she's getting paid for it. Just think about um, anything that you have skills in or anything that you're good at which other people might want. So, you know, if you're good at um, graphic design, then, you know, you could look at freelancing some design work. Um, there are a heap of really uh, free or cheap tools. Um, for example, Canva is pretty pretty cheap tool um, you could use for graphic design and you could get to work um, using outsourcing um, apps and websites like Fiverr or Upwork where people will um, you know, post the tasks that they want done and you can bid for them. If, um, if you're looking for more inspiration for ways to boost your income, um, check out the site, captainfire.com. Uh, I've got a few articles on that. And, um, you know, what else is your friend is YouTube. There are literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of videos on passive income and side hustles and how to make more money. So literally just um, get at it. You're limited by your imagination. Um, figure out how to make some money. So the next step is to really pay off any debt. So you want to ditch all of your liabilities. So if you have debt other than, say, you know, other than productive debt, say like a home loan or a mortgage, which are good debts because they're working for you as long as you've appropriately cash flowed and, you know, the numbers in the deal stack up, Um, any debt that's used, so for example, credit card debt, personal loans, uh, you financed a car, you know, payment plans, um, those kind of things. That's what you want to get rid of. So when you're paying off debt, um, there's a couple of ways you can do it. So, I mean, if so two of the most um, popular methods of paying down debt are the snowball method and the debt avalanche method. So the snowball method... Um, it starts by paying off your smallest debts first uh, and then using the um, 
surplus cash flow that you know was going into that small debt to then tackle the next debt. Um, and that's sometimes being referred to as domino, dominoing your debts. Um, and that's actually super important from like a psychological point of view because you really are seeing the benefits. Um, you're seeing that extra cash flow, um, and you, which is basically less money coming out of your accounts um, every day. So the second um, way of paying off your debt is the debt avalanche um, technique. And this is probably a little bit more of an analytical one, and it's just paying off the debt with the highest interest rate first. So, for example, say you know you might have a, a two hundred dollar um, interest free period on some furniture that you bought, um, and that's you know that's gonna that's interest free, um, but you might have a um, credit card debt of a thousand dollars being charged at twenty percent. So, obviously. Um, you save the most money by paying down that high interest rate credit card first. Um, so the debt avalanche is going to save you more money in the long run, but it doesn't give um, you the warm and fuzzy sort of psychological feeling of accomplishment of dominating your debts with the debt snowball. Um, either way, step six, pay off any debt. Get rid of any liabilities. Um, and, you know, liabilities don't have to necessarily be strictly debt. Um, if you're driving a car that's, quite frankly, ridiculous for your needs, um, say you're just driving around the city, uh, it's just you in the car, um, and you're driving a big four-wheel drive and you never take it off of the road, that's a, that's a liability. Um, okay, you're much better off driving a small economical four-cylinder petrol car um, or, you know... <laughs> even better bicycling around. But uh, if you have to drive, drive something that's sensible. So that's another example of a liability. So step seven. So just to recap, you've educated yourself, you've made a budget, you've reduced your expenses, you've created a savings buffer of at least $2,000, you've boosted your income, you've paid off your debt and gotten rid of liabilities, now, this is where the fun starts. This is where you get to start investing. Step seven, invest your savings. So start investing your capital to get rich slowly. And now, this is the thing that really blew my mind when I discovered FI and investing is that you know, you're telling me that I can take my money and I can buy this thing, I can invest in this thing, um, and it's just going to give me back money. So I started investing in um, in exchange traded funds in ETFs, and four times a year I got the dividends from Vanguard um, and from AFIC, and they just threw off cash. And it, it really it changed my mind, and I was hooked. And I knew that you know this is this is real, and this is something that you know this can really improve my life. Um, and I actually went back back to step one and did it all again. Um, and I did it again and again, um, trying to um, get more and more efficient and have a more savings rate so that I could really throw as much as possible into investing while I'm younger and while I have time for compound interest to really work its magic. So where to get started investing? Well, like we said in step one, you need to read read everything you need to immerse yourself in it um, and look that's something not everyone is prepared to do so get started investing get started just get some skin in the game whether that's be you know just a small amount of money um, I started with a thousand dollars which I put into the Australian Foundation investment company AFIC um, <clears throat> which it's a funny story about how I actually bought that um, I was a bit silly. I, for some reason, I thought it was like a concreting company. Like I thought foundation meant, you know, that they invested in um, like concrete and pouring foundations. So, um, so and I actually bought the company thinking that that's what it did. Um, and <laughs> you know, I laugh about it now, but remember Warren Buffett's golden rule is don't invest in something you don't understand. Um, so I learned not to actually do that. So you want to 
refer to step one, educate yourself. Um, and But you've got to start somewhere, okay? Don't let that analysis paralysis get you. Um, just get some skin in the game, whether it's a small amount of money that, you know, you're prepared to lose and you, you don't need for the next five to seven years. Um, my advice is either look at AFIC, uh, but they're not a concreting company, by the way. <laughs> it's a listed investment company, so they take your money and invest in other productive businesses. But look, we'll, we'll talk about AFIC another time. Um, but my recommendation is just t- start small, get some skin in the game, and once you get that first dividend, I'll tell you, you will be hooked. So investing, it, you don't have to just invest in ETFs. Um, you've got to real estate, um, websites, um, there's all sorts of things that you can invest your money in. But um, like I said, I'm not a, not a financial advisor, I'm not a professional, um, but where I have personally invested my money is a combination of those three things. So if you do want to get started um, buying uh, stocks, buying that low-cost index fund uh, ETF, of course, you're going to need a broker and don't go and spend all this money going to a financial institution. Um, you can get it an online discount broker really, really easy. Um, it's going to take 30 to 60 minutes online, um, filling out some application forms. You'll need you know, your identity. It might take a couple of days um, for all the security background checks uh, to get done. Um, and then you can transfer some money into your brokerage account and you can be buying those um, index funds in your name as easy as that. Um, if you are interested to get started or you you know that's that's that limiting step for you now, um, jump on to captainfire.com. Um, there's a pretty comprehensive guide about uh, how to start investing in the stock market. So of course, um, the last step, step eight, is uh, managing your portfolio. So um, you're going to regularly have to add a bit more fuel to the fire um, if you want to reach fire. Um, as per your investment strategy. Um, so don't forget periodically, go back to step one and work your way down the list again, um, looking for improvements each time. Um, I've lost track of the amount of times I've gone through this procedure iteratively, um, learned more, realized, hey, maybe I should look at something else. You know, when I was trying to pick stocks and thought I could beat um, beat the market, uh, to now where you know I know that if I invest in index funds, I am the market, and it's so much easier, so much less stress. So educate yourself and um, work your way back down the list. You know, it might take you a few iterations to actually work out what kind of investor you are. So what is your risk tolerance? How much effort are you prepared to put into an investment? Um, you know. Those kind of things only you only find that out with um, with experience. So, yeah, last step, step eight, manage your portfolio. So, you know, for me personally, um, I have a regular investment um, strategy where, um, you know, if I have any money, I just lump some invest that into index funds straight away. Um, now, you know, you can read some papers. I've got links on the site. Um, that is statistically the best way to earn more money is to whenever you have money lump sum invested okay um, <clears throat> the the flip side to that is dollar cost averaging or slowly drip feeding your money into the market so that's a bit of a risk avoidance um, measure so that's you know you obviously you're worried about say you invest everything and the, the market drops and oh no I've lost all this money well first of all if you're worried about that maybe you shouldn't be investing because Smart investors know that they're investing for the long haul, um, and if you're investing for overnight um, overnight gains, you know you really have to understand that financial independence is not a quick get rich quick scheme. Okay, it's boring. It's a slow. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. So, my strategy is, um, you know, if I get any um, windfall, you know, if that's a dividend, if that's a extra payout from work or you know um, I sell something that that gets that goes straight into the um, brokerage account um, ready for my fortnightly investment decision so 
that leads me to the next thing, which is when I get my pay, um, the first thing I do is I take out a chunk of it and set that aside for investing. So I um, regularly buy, and at the moment I'm trying to buy $3,000 of index funds um, each paycheck. Um, doesn't always work out that way. Unfortunately, life uh, sometimes gets in the way. Um, you know, I got whacked with a pretty horrendous fine recently and been a few weddings, so lots of expenses for gifts and, uh, and travel. Um, but, you know, I love that. You know, that having my finances the way it is gives me the choice that, you know, that's not an issue, that can be paid, and, you know, I don't have to resort to a credit card or borrowing money. So... So that regular investment, now that, if you think about it, that's actually a form of dollar cost averaging. Um, but it's also lump sum investing because you're investing the money as soon as you get it. And, um, you know, that's the best way to go. And, you know, you can see uh, I've got links to, uh, I think I mentioned it before, Morningstar and also Vanguard uh, Research. Um, you know, their um, statisticians um, have done some pretty awesome analysis to show you the numbers and basically over time with many different case studies and examples why th- getting your money invested early is uh, in your best interest. Um, when you're looking at managing your portfolio as well, um, you're going to need some tools to administrate it. Um, I'd recommend you look at ShareSite um, for Australian shares. Um, it's a pretty awesome tool as long as you've got less than 10 um, holdings, it's completely free. Um, it does everything for me, generates my tax returns, all my portfolio. Uh, it's a real schmick. And um, there's links to that on the website if you're interested. So um, with those eight steps, you can pretty much set yourself up for financial independence. So I guess the next step is how long do you have to do it for? So... Um, there is a there is a pretty cool um, graphic on the website um, which kind of just shows you just how much uh, or just how long rather you need to um, invest and just how much you need to save to reach financial independence. So, you know, for example, the the national savings rate um, in uh, across uh, Western societies, and I'm talking US, uh, Canada, Australia. UK um, is is actually under 10%. So using the example of a savings rate of 10%, it would actually take you over 50 years if you were going to retire. Okay, that's pretty horrendous. So normally people are tucking away money into their uh, into their retirement accounts, whether that's their 401k, their IRAs, or superannuation, um, which isn't all that much, but it usually boosts them to about a 20% savings rate, which is still around 37 years of working until retirement. That's your, you know, your typical finish work, um, sorry, finish studying, finish school, um, get a job and work until you're, you know, um, 60, 65 years old. Uh, and then, you know, you get your free time. Uh, when you're old, so you just that never really sat well with me. It never made a lot of sense. Like, why would I spend my whole life working for someone else, for someone's business, making someone else rich, and then what have I got to show for it at the end? So, you know, that never that never really um, stuck right by me. Um, so when I discovered Fire and you know started reading um, Mr. Money Mustache, it really just it changed the way I really thought about working. So, um, and it actually made me feel like a lot happier that, oh, wow, there's actually people that share this kind of mindset. So, do you have a side hustle? My side hustle is websites, a form of digital real estate. If you want to learn more about this lucrative side hustle, check out my review of the e Business Institute and their online self paced courses. They cover everything from total beginners right through to advanced web design and how to buy, renovate, and sell websites for profit. As a graduate of Matt and Liz's courses, I can't thank them enough for the valuable web skills they gave me, and now I enjoy growing my portfolio of websites for income. Captain Fire listeners can register for free access to some of these courses by signing up using the link at www.captainfire.com forward slash ebusiness-institute-review. Build your portfolio of digital real estate and start using websites to make money today. You know, having a look at um, the the working years until retirement 
a graph, you know, if you if you can save a hundred percent of your wage, I mean, somehow you're living for free, and you know that means you can retire right now. Um, but more realistically, you know, if you if you've got a fifty percent savings rate, which means you're able to live on half of your income, if you work for seventeen years, the growth of the investments or the growth of the assets that you've bought with the other half of your income over 17 years, that will provide you enough, a higher, big of enough portfolio to retire safely at 4%, which is pretty amazing. And if you um, boost your savings rate even higher, so, you know, you're a bit more mindful about your spending, um, you know, you cut back on some of the excess and some of the things that, you know, you don't really need. Um, and you can start boosting that savings rate, you can really get that number down. So for me personally, um, my savings rate I'm targeting is 80%, and uh, 80% savings rate equates to just under six years of working until retirement. Now, of course, that's just a fairly rough uh, calculator, and um, you you might not want to live um, as frugally um, in your retirement as you are now um, as you're building up towards fire so an alternative way of calculating um, this is to basically look at what is your um, goal or what is your projected level of spending in retirement um, you know you can work out your budget you can look at how much you're spending per week and per fortnight um, and then you want to carry that out um, over the course of the year, you know, you need to make sure you include a lot of things um, which you might not think about in your daily, day-to-day spending. So obviously, you've got to include food and accommodation and transport. Um, but you know, you might also need to include um, additional health insurance um, as you get older. That cost is going to increase. Um, uh, all those annual bills, which you know you might not pay on a fortnightly basis, you're going to have to really consider all of those so thankfully when you're on the path to fire you're generally pretty aware of all of these bills so you want to take your annual living costs and a a really simple um, rough way of doing this is just multiply it by 25 and that will give you your phi number or the amount of assets that you need invested um, for you to have hit FI. So as a rough example, if your annual living costs are $40,000, you know, then you need 40,000 times 25, um, which is a million dollars invested in your portfolio. Um, And if you had a a million dollars invested in, um, you know, say a diversified ultra low cost uh, index fund, um, then you can live off the dividends and if you drew that down at a 4% safe withdrawal rate, um, you will never run out of money for the rest of your life. Now this um, 4% safe withdrawal rate or that, uh, you know, how we multiply by 25, um, that's based on an internationally recognised uh, study called the Trinity Study, which basically um, gives you a 95% chance that over a 30-year period, your portfolio is going to survive all economic downturns and continue to provide you um, passive income during your retirement adjusted for inflation. So, um, you know, remember again, you don't have to be invested purely in um, stock market ETFs. Um, There are a huge number of smart people that have been able to reach FI um, using um, property and other investment strategies. So you really, like we said, you just refer to that step one of um, educating yourself and coming up with a strategy and goals. Um, and that, you know, that's going to be a huge step uh, towards reaching financial independence. So a big, um, a big part of any financial independence strategy, though, is um, is a large cash buffer. So while you are working and building the portfolio, we, we recommended having at least 
um, two thousand dollars in a emergency fund, and then you know over time boosting boosting that to a, a reasonable level. So some suggest you know three months worth of wages, some suggest six months worth of wages. Um, it's a really personal choice. You're just going to have to figure out what is right for you. Um, me personally, when I look at if I was to retire early, I'd probably want to keep at least a year or maybe even two years worth of um, cash um, on hand as a uh, as a buffer just in case there was a stock market downturn so that I didn't have to sell my shares um, at a loss or crystallize um, crystallize selling them at a discount. Uh, ideally, you know, if there is a loss, if there is a stock market downturn, you just want to leave those stocks in there um, to recover. And also, if there is a stock market downturn, that is a great opportunity for you to be buying more. So the reason I would keep such a large cash buffer is, um, one, as a bit of insurance for my own um, cost of living, and two, if there is a downturn, it enables me to, you know, maybe move half of it into um, buying a significant discount to more ETFs. Now, the last um, tool or the last little uh, feather in your cap as you strive towards financial independence is, of course, uh, tax-leveraged retirement accounts or government uh, retirement accounts, which are fan-bloody-tastic. So everyone who is considering FI should really consider um, investing more of their uh, cash into their retirement accounts. So, of course, what I'm talking about here is the American 401k, uh, the Canadian IRAs, uh, the Roth IRAs, um, and the Australian superannuation. So the rules um, on these tax-leveraged retirement accounts, uh, they change... Um, from country to country. So, you know, you really need to understand your scheme. Um, but the basic principle is that the government, um, to encourage you to invest for your retirement and, of course, be less reliant on the aged pension and social security, um, they will give you a tax discount for investing um, for your retirement. So remember, there are different schemes that are all slightly different. You know, some you pay less on um, when you contribute into the fund, some you don't pay when you withdraw, and they each have their advantages and disadvantages. Um, and uh, to be honest, you know, you could this could be the topic of hours of discussions alone. Um, so all I wanted to hear is highlight that hey, these schemes exist. And you should figure out which one is appropriate for you and which one you can do through your employer. So me personally, I um, do something that's called salary sacrifice, um, where this is I actually contribute the maximum that I can into my superannuation. So in Australia, that's $15,000 per year that individuals can concessionally contribute into their super. Um, And I've pretty much been doing that from day one, which is why I've got an awesome super balance, um, which is going to keep me sorted uh, when I'm old. Of course, you know, I'll need some kind of early retirement Portfolio, so I'm splitting um, investing between uh, superannuation and then just in traditional um, taxed investment accounts uh, and real estate. But by contributing that uh, fifteen thousand um, dollars pre-taxed contribution into my super, it you know I'm actually only seeing um, a loss in my paycheck of, you know, something like $8,000. So, um, I have to get the exact numbers worked out for you properly, but essentially you're saving on all that income tax, which for a lot of Australians, I think the average tax rate is, you know, 37 cents in the dollar or something. You can check it out on Google, but, um, Salary sacrificing is a great idea. Um, if you start early and you contribute your cap, um, you know you don't see the money uh, gone, and um, it means a heap when it comes to your security uh, in retirement. So there it is, guys. Um, that's uh, Captain Fire's take on 
what is financial independence and um, why you should be working towards it and uh, then how you can start working towards it with uh, eight pretty simple steps. So um, I hope you guys uh, took a lot out of it. Um, if you guys have any feedback or questions for me, um, let me know. Uh, in aviation, the debrief is almost just as important as the flight. Uh, we usually spend hours talking about what we've done and ways that we can improve. So let me uh, let me have it uh, in the comments. Um, you know, head on over to captainfire.com. You can leave a comment through there. Um, you can email me through the contact form, uh, or head on over to Facebook at the Captain Fire or even on Instagram as captain underscore fire. Um, hit us up, send us a message, leave a comment, and let me know what your thoughts are.